Cloak and Dagger. Now in their own bi-monthly comic, because you love their limited series, The Servants of Darkness and Light will now lead you down exotic paths to adventure and excitement every 60 days. By Bill Mantlo, Rick Leonardi, and Terry Austin. Coming soon. Don't miss an issue. New from Marvel. Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I am Rick. Hey! Random banter! And then that happened. Yeah, and that's the random banter part. I have another book recommendation, if I may be so bold. Oh, uh, well, you've been having really good book recommendations lately. What's, uh, what's the new thing that you got? This one is called Star Scouts by Mike Lawrence. It's about a girl named Avani, and I should mention that this is actually a graphic novel collection, but it's about a girl named Avani. She's new to the neighborhood in school, no friends, different from the other kids. Her father has signed her up for the local Pine Scouts troop. But she does not hit it off with the girls. Luckily for her, she's accidentally transported into space by Mabel, a friendly alien who is collecting specimens for her space scout troop. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I have never heard of this one. No, the only reason I heard about it was um, I was talking to the father of one of my daughter's classmates, and he just mentioned that, oh, yeah, he uh, draws some comic books. Oh, yeah, which ones? I drew this one called Star Scouts. Okay, so you actually know a comic artist. I know Mike Lawrence. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I, I went ahead. I, I found this. I bought it. Yeah. I read it. handed it to my daughter, and she's enjoying it as well. Oh. It is Quite enjoyable, and it's perfect for young adults. So. All right, well, cool. All I, ages, I should say. Excellent. I was going to say, I'm a young adult, plus. Uh, so I will, uh, I'll check that out. And that yeah. was, uh, what was that called? It's called Star Scouts. It came out in 2017, and there is a sequel to it now, too, which is called Star Scouts League of Lasers, which I've also picked up, but I have not read yet. Okay, well, so, uh, I'll check that out. Yeah, I'll try to, as soon as my daughter gets done, I'll lend it to you. Oh, that'd be cool. Otherwise, yeah. I will go to the ever-popular, friendly local library. The local library. Yeah, I'm a big fan of libraries. I, uh, I like them. I see things where people are like, what are libraries good for? And it's like, lots of things. There's books there. So Yeah, you also, like, you can get pythons and things like that, too. Oh, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff that you can uh, yeah, you can check out. You can, you can check out, like, depending on the library, they'll have tools and cooking supplies <laughs> and... Uh, park we, passes? Yeah, park passes. Yeah, you can actually get park passes from them, so it's kind of like, hey, one day a year you can uh, get, like, a zoo pass from the library or an air museum or OMSI or any number of things. So, libraries are cool. Check them out. Go libraries. Yeah, yeah. Home of the fighting librarians, books. I guess, yeah. Libraries. Home of the fighting books. Oh, excellent. I actually <laughs> I worked at the library for a couple of years. Really? Yeah, I was a page. I worked for a uh, Fort Vancouver Regional Library. Anything for us this week? <clears throat> oh, for I'm talking on behalf of all of our uh, listeners. Oh, for the random banner? Uh, yeah, uh, I spent the weekend out at the coast. I went to Cannon Beach for a friend's birthday really? and got a house and hung out there with some really good friends. Really cool. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. Not to name drop, but yeah. one of them was you. Oh my God, that's right. It was me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was a good time. <laughs> yes, it was a fine, fine time, uh, especially because, you know, our daughter's got to hang out and stuff, and mm -hmm. 
Mine got her first uh, sand experience. She, yes. First yes. time. She's been to the beach before, but she fell asleep in her stroller while we were rolling around. And this time she was actually awake enough to, you know, kick over, well, sit and kick at sandcastles and eat handfuls of sand. So. Yeah. And my daughter was more than happy to make the sandcastles for your daughter. Yeah, it was fun. It was really neat. Yes. I think I, I think I posted up a picture of us on our Twitter page. Cast and crew at Cast Cannon Beach. Cast and crew. That's, that's right. right. <laughs> that's us. Yeah. <laughs> That was a good, good time. It was fun. And I'm going to bring that back a little bit later on. But okay. first, before I bring that back, mm-hmm. Jeff, can you please give us the two-sentence replay of our last episode? Will do, my friend. My beach buddy friend. Aw, shucks. Julie says that Cloak is brave. Katie says that Dagger is pretty. And Alex says nary a G while Cloak fights all the bad guys. Dagger heals all the wounds. And Professor Gilbert controls all the robots in this exciting, action-packed issue where Jack almost kills a man. Also, Dragon Man is still called Baby, but like only one time. And that brings the grand total of dropped babies to 20. Jeff and Rick Presents does not condone or encourage the dropping of babies. Now that the title characters guest star in their own comic, two-sentence replay is over, why don't you give me a beer and tell us what her power pack pick is? My pleasure, my friend. I'm excited to see what you got. In honor of us being in Astoria this last weekend... Hey, you did make a callback. I did make a callback. I would like to present to you Fort George's Suicide Squeeze. Wow, that is, that, uh, it's just a big snake on it. I don't understand <laughs> why we would have a, uh, a snake on the uh, outside of a can uh, in this fishtail comic that we're going to be doing. Oh, it's a special edition India Pale Ale. Cool. I'm sorry. (laughs) But hey, it's from Astoria. That is true. This is from Astoria, and it is the Fort George Brewery special edition Indian Pale Ale Suicide Squeeze. Punchy pineapple brightens up resinous piney aroma a light doughy malt backbone buoys fleeting tropical mango and passion fruit fresh cut grass adds an earthy sweetness to the sip quick bitters caps off zippy swallow with a clean engaging finish 4.5 abv no listed ibu in a can nice did you pick this up while we were in astoria no okay i just happened to realize that uh after i bought it all right (laughs) like oh my gosh this is from astoria all right, well, that's cool. And I totally understand why. Because, spoilers, there is a giant serpent in, in the issue that we are going to be covering. I mean, it's not really too big a spoiler. We're going to immediately talk about it. So I'm going to say this is a very lightly hopped IPA. They call it a special edition Indie Pale Ale. It does have uh, IPA kind of features going on it, but you can also really kind of taste like the all the different fruits that are going on with it as well, like the pa- mango and pineapple and passion fruit and everything that you said yeah. in there. It was like I took a tiny little sip and I was immediately it was kind of like this is like a fruit juice. This is kind of interesting. It does have it does have uh, IPA characteristics though, especially kind of a, a very slightly uh, tangy note at the end. This is quite a refreshing IPA with a giant snake on the can. Yep. Giant snake on the can. Gotta love it. So now that we have our beer out of the way, let's get on to those opening credits, if you please. Power Pack, issue number nine, April 1985. Fishtail. Credits. Writer, Louise Simonson. Guest penciler, Brent Anderson. Inker, Bob Wycheck. Letterer, Joe Rosen. Colorist, Glennis Ween. Editor, Carl Potts. Editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter. Featuring... Alex Power, a.k.a. G, oldest Power sibling at 12, has the ability to increase or decrease the gravity of objects he touches. Julie Power, a.k.a. Lightspeed, 
second oldest power sibling at 10, has the ability to fly very fast, leaving a rainbow trail behind her. Jack Power, aka Mass Master, second youngest power sibling at 8, has the ability to control his molecular density. Katie Power, aka The Energizer, youngest power sibling at 5, has the ability to disintegrate matter, turning it into energy, which she can expel into Powerballs. Guest starring Friday, an alien smart ship. Friday used to belong to Whitey, a chameleon scientist who gave the power children his powers as he died. Maggie Powers, the power children's mother. She does not know that her children have powers. That does not make her a bad parent. There is a nice little note in the letter page stating that we have Brent Anderson for two issues while June Brigman gets some time off. She is working on an upcoming tale that will take place in the sewers. Do I smell a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle crossover? I mean, both comics came out in 1984, and if the story takes place in the sewers, then I think there's a good chance that this might happen. No, no, there's no chance that this is going to happen, as TMNT is owned by Mirage Studios and not Marvel. Also, there's the fact that the Teenage Turtles are far too murdery in their earlier iteration to be hanging out with these innocent adolescents in Power Pack. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. You know, I bet that Jack and Raphael will get along pretty well, though. Huh, I think that they would. Now that I think about it, I think that Alex and Donatello would have a lot in common, too. And Katie would get along with everyone. I guess that just leaves Julie. Yeah, you know, uh, I bet she would hang out with Splinter and that they would read books and drink tea. I think they'd get along pretty splendidly once Julie got out of the fact that he was a rat. Dang, now I kind of want to see this crossover. Me too. But back to the original topic. The artist switch occurred from time to time. June Brigman was not used to doing full-length series, and she needed breaks to catch up, so they had to fill in issues like this. Just a quick little background on Brent Anderson. He's been kind of all over the board as far as his professional career. He started it back in 1979 with Kazor the Savage, and then kind of went through some other things. Most importantly, X-Men graphic novel God Loves Man Kills, which is a fantastic book if you haven't read it. He also worked on some things like Somerset Holmes, and also worked on Astro City, and Spin World as well. As, wait, Astro City? Yeah. I love Astro City. He's the regular artist on Kurt Busiek's Astro City, so... Oh, that's really cool. I've probably... I've definitely seen his work before then. His work is pretty good, though. I like him a lot. Anyways, he's great villain artist. I like his art. I know that you have a thing about switching <laughs> back and forth from artists. It's different, and I don't like change. I know, but I think that he does an amazing job, and I'm going to point out some things that I absolutely love in this issue with his artwork. Nothing to take away from June Bringman at all, mm -hmm. but there's definitely a different style change here, and there's things that he focuses on, which I love. Okay. But we'll get to that. I want to mention another very cool thing. According to Louise Simonson, during her interview on Jane Miles Explained the X-Men episode 200, plug! Uh, whenever the... <laughs> Whenever they needed to do a fill-in episode, they would focus on one of their favorite hobbies of their editor, Carl Potts. This was the first such issue. He was a fan of aquariums and the character Marina, so they did this two-issue arc. But let's dive into this comic. This week on The Deadliest Catch. The fishing crew working miles off of the main coast is pulling up their net and are surprised to see something fuchsia. The three Gordon Fisherman extras are trying to untangle this thing and are surprised to discover a big bleeping snake. No, a big one. Cobra head. Purple. Pink. Long. Snake. You, are, you, are you okay, buddy? Big. Big snake. Big. Big snake. Angry snake. Yeah, this is not a happy snake. It breaks out of the net, glares at the crew, and... Which sends them into dreamland. The snake glances at the pilot house and whammies the captain, who then falls over on his horn, releasing a loud... Boom. Which in turn knocks out the snake... Thud. At this point, the fifth member of the crew returns from the bathroom break he was on and finds an interesting scene. The crew and a giant snake, all sleeping. What happened? Meanwhile, in the halls of the power apartment... Jack, after being wakened by Alex, clouds into the girl's room and whips off the blanket of Julie's bed to discover Julie wasting batteries again. 
by staying up late and reading a book with a flashlight under the blanket. And it is a good thing that he takes the blanket, because Jack did not bother costuming on, and is therefore playing the prank of the naked brother pulling the covers off his sister's bed. Which is creepy. Bad Jack. Stop being so naked and creepy. Julie chides him about this, well about the clouding into the room. She might have also gotten into the state of his undress, but Alex comes in to tell them all to be quiet. You see, they got themselves a little plan to sneak out and see their smart ship Friday. Hooray! Hey, are we cheering for sneaking out or for visiting Friday? Well, I used to sneak out of the house all the time as a kid. And if I had the opportunity to sneak out and hang out with a smart ship, well, I'd be cheering so both. Alex picks up the sleeping Katie, announces a costume's on, and the children fly off into the night. Did you notice that the costume on art changed again? No, I didn't. How did they change it? Well, originally, it was a white and pink aura with black polka dots that silhouetted the kids entirely. Then once, it was a white and yellow aura where you could see the kids in it, and now it's like a black circling lightning bolt working its way up the kids' bodies, replacing the clothes that they were wearing as it goes. I guess it just depends on the current artist for how it looks. I think you're right, but I'm pretty sure that this is what they stick with going forward. Speaking of art, there is something I do not like about how Julie is being drawn. The kids are flying and like, usually you see the rainbow, but her body is being shown on top of the rainbow? I like the rainbow as part of her body while flying. Ah, yeah, I I see what you mean and I agree. That being said though, they have shown us this before. In issue 6, they had these looking at her from above angles, and for most of them, she covered the rainbow. It's when you're looking at her from below that the rainbow obscures her lower two-thirds. My guess is that this is showing where her propulsion comes from. Eh, okay. Anyway, they get to Roadside Park next to the Hudson River. After a bit of back-and-forth, unresolved discussion of Friday's gender and Katie Hollas. Friday, we're here! Come on down! And Friday does a sweet slide in from space. They find out that Friday has been pretty bored in space, and Alex suggests that she takes up residence in the Hudson River. Because apparently it's clean now. Okay, sure. That's a great selling point. It's not as gross as it once was. When can I move in? Yeah, Friday is pretty dubious about it as well. To sweeten the deal, Alex talks about all the fish that Friday could study and shows an article about how there is some weird stuff in the water, like the sea serpent from earlier in the issue that is now at the aquarium on Coney Island, and that their gramps is going to take them to go see tomorrow. Oh, so that's like... Chekhov's snake. Uh, sure. Every kid should have a pet. No, no, I meant... Friday is interested in the picture of the large serpent and states that it resembles a Xanthian boulder crusher. You know what is awesome about having your own alien smart ship? Besides being able to fly in space when you want, having your own clothing manufacturer, and having a voice that sounds like Pee Wee Herman? What? No. Friday doesn't sound like that. Oh, sorry. Thinking of Flight of the Navigator. Great, now I am too. I was going to say, having an insane alien library that can dump some serious exposition at a moment's notice. And boy, howdy, we get a quick book report, including pictures of the offending Ophidian. These are sub-intelligent creatures that have the ability to render people unconscious with its gaze. So exactly the type of pet you want to bring home to mommy. Friday goes on to talk about how the chameleons made command devices that can control boulder crushers, using their language, which is a flute-like piping. Foreshadowing, you're soaking in it. But Friday is sure that it can't be a boulder crusher. What would it be doing on Earth? Yeah, the same Earth that has seen Asgardian gods, Galactus, Space Knights, and countless alien races visit it, as well as the current home of four kids gifted with alien powers and tech and an alien smart ship. What are the chances that a large alien snake also matriculated to this mud ball? Friday gives an adios and sinks into the questionable waters of the river as the kids realize that they never asked if Friday was a boy or a girl. So, Friday is sleeping with the fishes. Not even going to respond to that one, are you? The following day. Because of the river, where the fishes live. Eh? Eh? Anything to add to this? (sighs) Fine. I know what you're looking for. Here you go. Hudson, where the cordits dwell, where the fishes live and they do live well. Hudson, 
is where Alex plans for Friday to live and to not be bland. There. Happy. Spinal Tap, really? The following day, the kids and their mom are hanging outside of Carnegie Hall, trying to look like a modern-day Van Trapp family waiting for their big break. Close. Apparently, he plays the oboe at Carnegie Hall, which is pretty darn cool. And Julia's reading. That reminds me, I want to pause on something that I will bring up later in the show in our library card section. But Julie does an awesome call-out. She is reading a book called Dragonson and is gushing about how the author can really write. This is a call-out to Anne McCaffrey, a prolific author of fantasy and sci-fi literature. Julie will spend the majority of this issue with her nose buried in this book. Gramps! Gramps! Grandpa comes out and gets a big family hug from the kids. He's taken the power girls and boys to the aquarium. And sure enough, we see them on the subway with Grandpa giving Katie Bear lessons on the oboe. Blurp! Jack has an observation. Ha! Looks like Gramps finally found a sucker to take up the oboe. This page has two pop culture callouts. First was Dragon Song above. The second is Alex's t-shirt. Do you want to guess what it, that is and why it is there? Uh, it's a white t-shirt with a boy standing next to a dog. It looks familiar, though. That is Johnny Quest and his dog Bandit. The illustrator of this issue, Brent Anderson, did some work on Johnny Quest around this time. One issue of the series and some pinups. I believe that this is a subtle nod to his other artwork. I did some digging and that was all I could come up with. I really like these panels and artwork. Just a family riding a subway, graffiti in the background, and kids lounging back on the seats. It just has an authentic quality. I think it does, too. I think it's pretty awesome quality. You know, I, it really makes it worthwhile. It makes it really nice, and you can actually see the family doing something together. Like Julie reading. They arrive at the aquarium, and Gramps expounds on the magnificence and majesty of the ocean. Alex tries to take the oboe from Katie by using a G and pointing out that Katie has been so accident-prone with her disintegration powers that maybe he should carry Gramps' prize instrument. No way, Dog Breath. Gramps said he could carry it, remember? I'm not gonna disintegrate it, you know. Foreshadowing, you're soaking in it. And Julia's reading. The kids notice the nearby roller coaster at Coney Island and bemoan the fact that their Gramps would not let them go and that their mom really wouldn't understand if they ditched him. So they follow the exhaustively explaining elder into the aquarium. And Julia's reading. Until Katie advises her to look up at the stupendously sized sleeping subjugated serpent. And Julie stops reading. Whoa. Gramps is even an expert on this. He starts to break down the taxonomy of the creature based on his observation, which is kind of cool. What's cooler is that he explains that this antagonist MacGuffin of this plot point is sleeping, or in a coma, or in a trance, or maybe even hibernating. Foreshadowing, you're really still soaking in it. Katie, meanwhile, is distracted by the beluga whales, because shiny. And they're smiling. Aww. Later at the submarine exhibit... And Julie is reading. Three of the kids are admiring the variety of vessels when Katie again pulls Julie out of her reading rapture to point out another submarine. But this one actually gets Julie's attention. All the kids wander over to this more advanced sub, Friday? Yeah, apparently Friday got bored of the Hudson and decided that no one would notice if she sat down in the middle of the New York Aquarium submarine exhibit because, as of last night, she was a submarine as well and would fit right in. Well, it is Marvel Universe New York. When you got gods, robots, aliens, and mutants running down Broadway before lunch, you get a little blasé about spaceships and museums. I mean... It is not causing any damage, so who cares? Around lunchtime, the kids are chilling at the open-topped exhibit where the sleeping serpent is staying. Alex and Jack are observing the oddity and comparing it with what Friday told them about the boulder crusher. Katie is goofing around with Gramps' oboe and blows out a couple of notes. Bleep! Beep! The kids finish lunch, check out the rest of the fish, and go home. Nope, none of the foreshadowing was used to cause any excitement at all. Except for, well, maybe, the alien asp. 
asp. I was running out of alliterating words that are synonymous with serpent. What do you want from me? Katie's bleep blooping causes the alien asp to wake up from its Rip Van Winkle and it starts hypno sleep blasting all the pesky humans. Snake, snake, baby, too cold, too cold. No, fail. I said Rip Van Winkle, not Rob Van Winkle. And that was a bad parody. Or as Galvatron would say, this is bad comedy. Katie, with a closed-eyed, concentrating look, blows out a new note. Blurp. Resulting in the boulder crusher going into attack mode on Katie. She is speedily saved by a leaping degrabbed Alex. Crash. And inevitably, Katie disintegrates her Gramps oboe. Making the world a slightly more peaceful place. Not an oboe fan, huh? Nope. I like my duck noises to come from ducks. Or duck hunt. Well... No time to worry about an oboe because of all that foreshadowing has come to fruition. The three kids outside of a building do a Costumes on! And Jack provides some cover and exposition as Julian Gramps come out with lunch. Just in time, too, because with a Crash! The boulder-crushing creep Super Mario's through the floor and hypno-whammies Gramps. Julie, who covered her eyes in time, and Alex team up to haul out the resting relative and a couple of other inert innocents of the danger zone. Slamming into concrete, causing mass destruction. Hypnotizing humans, wrecking the aquarium. Highway to the serpent zone. Slide into the serpent zone. And you thought my snake, snake baby was bad? You should have just stuck with the archer quote. But we don't have ants, and this isn't how you get ants. The aggravated alien is trying to hypnoblast other trapped patrons, so Katie disintegrates a window, helping her the helpless out of the cafeteria. Did you notice that Katie is standing on the railings of the steps, helping adults climb out of the window? Seriously, this kid deserves a community medal. Except she was the one who causes calamity because of the cacophony she played on the elbow. Fair point, but with a... Smash! The flailing fiend floods the area by doing a... Scratch! Whoosh! Check out that last panel on page 13. Alex has degraved a whale and is flying him away with the help of Julie, who is, well, propelling him along by holding his rear. I would have grabbed the scruff of his neck, but you be you, Julie. Anyway, while Alex tosses the beluga whale into the sea lion tank... Splash! Jack says... The great mass master has a plan. Let's see how he likes to be hit with the old jackhammer! Chud! And he jackhammers the flat bony top of the venomous villain's vertex. Turns out that the boulder crusher likes it just fine. This has no effect other than really upsetting it. So Jack resorts to plan B, Foggy Town. That sounds like another song cue. What song? I was thinking of doing a parody of Funky Town by Lip Sync. You know, call it Foggy Town. So it would be, won't you take me to... Foggy Town, yeah. Nah, two on the nose. Fair enough. Kind of like Jack bouncing off the nose of the snake. The other kids have finished evacuating the rest of the people and are trying to figure out a plan. Get on them. This is what we want to see. Sure, they are kids, but kids have some imagination and they know the laws of fairy tale and lore. Julie remembers the story of Medusa from mythology, and between Alex and Katie, they start to hypothesize that the snake's reflection may knock it out. Leaving Jack on snake-sitting duty, the other three head back to the museum to cause some more vandalism. Destructive, Destructive sibling, sibling powers, powers activate. activate! As Katie cuts out a shiny section of sub... They have a quick debrief with Friday. Friday thinks that this crusher is, quote-unquote, tame and can be controlled by sound. Wait, tame? Has Friday been outside? Julie suggests using the oboe, but Katie admits... I, I can't. I got so scared. I did what Alex thought I would. 
I disintegrated it. Alex consoles her, and then the trio of Tots and Friday rejoin Cloud Boy. You guys sure took long enough. And then Snake Eyes zaps Jack. Zzz. Who solidifies and crashes to the ground. Crash! Ah, uh, Gravity's revenge for reviving D'Angelo after he fell in the last issue. Katie then blasts off a fireball and says... Stop it! Don't you hurt my brother! And also gets zapped and collapses on top of Jack. Zzz. That's okay, because Friday deploys those ridiculous hands and scoops them up. I think that you meant super useful? Now it is the Julian Alex show. Alex tries Operation Hey, Look at the Shiny Shield to no avail. Apparently during character creation, the giant snake did not take the Medusa flaw. Friday takes a moment to inform Alex that... Of course it would not work, because crushes are immune to hypnotic effects. Well, thanks a lot, Miss Smartship. That would have been useful information before we Leroy Jenkins our way into this situation. Now we're up to what? Plan 9? From outer space. Kind of walked into that one, didn't I? Yep. Alex decides it's time to slip on a Stetson and do a little wild snake cowboy. and Plants himself on top of the snake's head like Major T.J. Kong from Dr. Strangelove. And starts to degravitize the lengthy lizard. He then directs Julie to grab the tail and start flying over the ocean. The wrinkly reptile starts to wind its head toward the young woman. And right before he can strike, Alex yells to let go. Snap. Whee! Splash! The snake drops into the water and the two children head back to the damaged aquarium. Since most people ran or are hypnotized to sleep, Alex and Julie do some light cleaning and rescuing. They are worried about how people are still asleep when someone shows up and tells them that the effects should go away in an hour. Who is this green-skinned, green-suited, green-haired woman? Is it the Incredible She-Hulk? No. The Green Giant's daughter? Nope. Yoda's great aunt? No. This is Marina Smallwood. Oh! Who? She started off as a character on Alpha Flight, a Canadian-based superhero team. Gonna need a little more to go on than that, eh? <laughs> eh. <laughs> Her backstory is that she is an alien who was sent here as an egg about 40,000 years ago. She was found in modern times by a fisherman, and due to how her species, the Plodex, work, she imprinted on the humans and took on their form after she hatched. With a green hue, green hair, webbed hands and feet, and black eyes, exactly like a human. Yeah, after some adventures with Alpha Flight, she meets Prince Namor. The Submariner, Imperius Rex, the Prince of Atlantis, King of Undersea, the Avenging Sun, the First Mutant, the Abs of Atlantis, Namor the First, the High Seas Highness, the Speedo Superhero. Okay, you made up the last two. So? Namor, one of the most arrogantly awesome, long-lasting characters of the Marvel Universe. Marina and Namor swim off to live under the sea. You see, she is amphibious and has super strength and stamina, just like Namor. So much in common, it's a match made in undersea heaven. Marina explains to the kids that she was recently captured by the Collector. A.K.A. Benicio Del Toro from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Yeah, sure, fine, anyway. During that fight, Marina was able to escape thanks to Alpha Flight and Spider-Man. Now she's just name-dropping. But this snake monster was dropped and left behind. I think we should give a big thank you to Louis Simonson for this big mess. Why do you say that? Well, you see, all this insanity that Marina is talking about occurred in Marvel Team-Up Annual 7. Huh. A little issue written by the same author of this book. A nice way of setting this story up. Alex explains to the nice green lady that everything is fine. The snake is in the ocean. Marina is not convinced. She has to go and stop them. Alex offers to help and does so by letting Marina use Friday to go snake hunting. With Marina and Friday gone and out of their costumes, Alex and Julie wait for the family to wake up. When Gramps wakes up, he is trying to put it all together and is wondering what happened to his oboe. It's always about your oboe, isn't it, old man? You never think about the flute or the cello. They have feelings, too. Okay. Anyway, Julie covers saying that it is probably destroyed, like her book, 
which is soaking wet and shredded. And Julie is not reading. Katie says, It's all my fault if I hadn't been playing Gramps' oboe. Alex consoles her and says it was bound to happen. He then fills in Katie and Jack on what occurred when they had their forced siesta and the powered preteens lay plans to meet up with Friday and Marina to find and stop Snake Eyes. Next issue, Sea Hunt. All right, take a drink and let's talk about some themes. Mm -hmm. The biggest character of this book is the city. Yeah. We see so much character and locations. And this is kind of what I was talking about before with one thing I like about Brent Anderson's artwork is that I think we see a lot of the background character of the city. I think he does a great job of really drawing it in and filling in the blank spaces behind. And we get another character in this book in a real sense of New York City. I mean, we got Carnegie Hall. We got the subway system. We've got Coney Island. We've got the aquarium. It's like these is just feeling real and alive and I love it. Yeah, it's really great that he did this because it really gives you a sense of the kind of the community that they live in and places they can go. It's sort of a, hey, you know, if you're in New York, you could stop in here and you could go where the powers have gone and play Snake Fighter. We don't know New York really that well. I, I mean, don't know New York at all. I've never been. Right. You know, I mean, except for where you see in, you know, in the movies or mm -hmm. TV shows. I went online and thank God for Google Earth. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was looking up. It's like, okay, so the aquarium, you know, is this right next to Coney Island? Yes, it's right next to Coney Island. It's right next to the uh, where the uh, roller coasters are. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, this it all fits in. It feels like, yes, this is all correct. And this is all how things are set up. So that's really neat. And I love it. And once again, I love this guy's artwork. I really do. I think no, he that, does a great job. Yeah. I think he's got a good job of really drawing realistic characters, just like June Brinkman does. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that it just all works really well together. So Yeah, the art looks really good. It's I'm gonna say it looks more cluttered than what June usually does, but that's sure. not as a negative. It just means that he does pack in a lot more backgrounds. He's right. got like, you know, instead of kind of having like the blank backgrounds that a lot of comics will have, he'll have, oh, here's stairs and building and here's this yeah. and here's like an exhibit and here's all these submarines in the background. He does a lot of background the work. The graffiti in the subway. I yep. mean, the graffiti on the walls of the subway. It's fantastic. And also the kids just sitting in the subway. They, they're not just sitting. They're lounging yeah. on the subway. You know, they're, they're relaxed. They're, they're existing they're on the existing. subway getting ready yes. to go. Yeah, they're going and, somewhere and they're kind of like, yeah, all right. And once again, this is another thing I really like about this issue. It's kids doing kid stuff and then adventuring occurs. Yeah. The kids are going out and they're not trolling for an adventure like they were last time. No, they're hanging out with their grandpa. They're hanging out with their grandpa. They're doing things and all of a sudden, adventure slaps them in the head. Mm -hmm. So it's a real interaction with the family. It's real walking around the museums. It's the scenes that I wanted to see when they were going to school. You know, it's this kind of get, stuff yeah, I like. The slice of life. The slice yeah. of life in the uh, superhero comics is always really great. Yeah. I want to talk about the library card that I pulled out before because mm -hmm. I'm really excited about this. Julie was reading Dragon Song by Anne McCaffrey. Now, this is published back in 1976, which, ha, huh, this book is about as old as I am, so that's pretty awesome. <laughs> this is the first part of the, what is known as the Harper Hall Trilogy. It's a subset of Anne McCaffrey's Dragon Riders of Pern series. This book focuses on Menelie, who's the youngest daughter of a mayor-type figure in a fishing community. I'm kind of making this exposition be relatable to people who haven't read the book, so mm -hmm. bear with me. She's very talented, and she's a gifted singer and songwriter, but her parents forbid her from showing her talents. Her parents believe in an old-school conservative view of this society, that women are not musicians or harpers in this world. So she runs away, and she finds this clutch of newly hatched fire lizards. Think miniature miniaturized size dragons who can fly and breathe fire who are very friendly well she finds these and she impresses them and trains them with music and this this book is kind of about how she goes from this situation and ends up in the harper hall where she she can use her gifts and it's just a fabulous book i love this so i i may have read this book in this series at least a dozen or 
two dozen, three dozen times. In fact, I may read it again once I get done with writing this script. Yeah, I want to read it again. I love this series as well. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Anne McCaffrey. I loved it. Uh, I love her stuff. And I loved the Harper Harrell series when I was a kid. And what an allegory. Let's tie it back into the book because I can definitely see the nod Louise Simonson is making here. You have a giant serpent and you got dragons. So you got that going on. You have a woman in music and you have the music as a big component with controlling or communicating with the reptile. I mean, you have one of the girl, the youngest girl blowing on a horn. Mm -hmm. You could even say that, you know, her grandpa is saying, wow, you've actually got some talent with this. Kind of like Melody's got talent with singing and playing instruments as well. Mm -hmm. So there's some, there's some connections that uh, I think that Louise Simonson is making here, which is really kind of cool. As far as the book itself, there's a huge recommendation for me. With a caution, uh, Anne McCaffrey was an amazing author, but I'm not a fan of the work of her son, Todd. So I, I would always say, you know, start with the first parts of the book. Go and from stay there. there. Stay there and maybe not go into Todd stuff too much. Mm-hmm. But that said, I, I can't wait to give these books over to my daughter. I, I, she needs to be a little bit older first because mm-hmm. some of the content of the books, especially the main Dragon Warrior series, can get a little adult. But the Harper Hall trilogy was really aimed as more of the young adults, kind of, you know, preteen to teenage years. So I need to read all of those again. Yeah, I read the heck out of them as well. And I love them. But yeah, the Harper Hall stuff especially was amazing. Uh, I, I, I remember that I love them. And I remember tiny little snippets where I'm like, oh, that really stuck in my head. Uh, for some reason, when they get to like the, these islands, which is tropical, you know, and they're, they're talking about the windows. It's yeah. like, oh, we just have small windows. We need big windows for airflow. For whatever reason, that stuck in my head for 30 years. <laughs> I I can still remember the first book I bought. It was a battered, beaten up copy of the first three books of the main Dragon Warrior series. And it was beaten and the, the cover was coming off. And I was walking through Powell's books and I saw this book sitting on the shelf for a reasonable price that a teenage me could handle yeah. at Powell's books. <laughs> And by the way, if you ever come to Portland, Oregon, Powell's Books. It is a city block of books. It is awesome. It is the most awesomest place in the world. Anyways, I remember walking in there, seeing that book. Reasonable price. I bought it. I still have that book. It is falling apart. It is the cover just holds the pages together <laughs> at this point in time. It is a suggestion of a book. Yes, it is. It's it's a book that you just kind of have to lie out. But I I don't want to sell that book. I don't. Well, I can't sell it now. I don't <laughs> want to get rid of the book. I mean, because it's just I have so many memories of reading mm-hmm. it over and over and over again. But that's what I love. I just I. I love that book. I have that vivid memory of walking in Powell's, buying that book, and you know, taking it down to the cash register. Now, as I was taking it down the cash register, I turned a corner and I found myself in Science Corner. Yeah, I saw you. Saw you yeah, I saw that one coming. Uh, yeah, yeah, I saw that one coming this time, buddy. I'm like, I know what's going on here. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me. What is this? Episode nine. Nine times. And, and you fooled me eight other yeah, times, yeah. but this time, this time, Mister. <laughs> you still saw it coming. Though, I, yeah, yeah, this one I saw coming. The other ones but, I'm always but, like but, to but, totally distract but, but, but at the same time, uh, I still managed to get yeah, there. Yeah, you did get there. You did get there. It was great. But I'm like, I know what you're doing. <laughs> Thinking you're so clever there with your beer and your smarts. <laughs> Talk to me about something sciencey, my friend. Okay, well, there's not a lot of science going on here mm-hmm. other than you know, spaceships and aliens and oboes and things like that. But uh, how about we just give you a little bit of information about the New York Aquarium? Since All right. About half the book, at least, is spent there. The New York Aquarium is the oldest continually operating aquarium in the United States, and it opened in Castle Garden in Battery Park, Manhattan in 1896. Since 1957, it has been located on the boardwalk in Coney Island, Brooklyn. The facility occupies 14 acres and boasts 266 species of aquatic wildlife. Its mission is to raise public awareness about issues facing the ocean and its inhabitants with special exhibits, public events, and research. Thank you very much, Jeff. You're welcome. Yeah, just uh, not a lot of science tonight, 
just a, a little bit of the history. It's just they went to the the United States oldest uh, aquarium, and that's kind of cool. I want to go to New York and see the oldest aquarium now. Yeah, and uh, see how they've repaired it since the terrible, terrible wreckage of the Boulder Crusher and the Powers getting the hands on it. They don't talk about that. No, they're blaming. It, it's a cover up. They blaming it on Hurricane Sandy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're all like, yeah, Hurricane Sandy did all this. Men in black. Yeah. Men in black. Yeah, mm. Boulder Crusher. Boulder That's Crusher. what it was. Let's go ahead and talk final thoughts. Mm-hmm. I want to know our final thoughts. Final thoughts. Final, final thoughts. I want, want to know, know our final, final thoughts. thoughts. Right. Uh, now. <laughs> yeah, we needed one more song. Sure. We really did. So, let us talk about the refrigerator gallery. Once again, this is what piece of artwork in the book needs to be on the family refrigerator. Jeff, what you got for me? All right. Well, uh, I have a joke one, a backup, and a first. I first like place that you one. have joke ones. Yep. Bring me the joke one. Okay, so the joke one is on page three. Page three. And I call it Razzmatazz. Razzmatazz. And can you guess which one it is? <laughs> it's for you, Rick. <laughs> it is Naked Cloud Boy Jack doing jazz hands. <laughs> After he woke up uh, Julie uh, and Katie you know in their bedroom. Here's the thing. I was going so far past the, ah, naked boy. I miss the fact that he does have jazz hands. Yes. It's all about the razzmatazz. Uh, so he woke up, look at the hands. He woke up Julie with style. So my joke one is, uh, my joke one is uh, Naked Jack. <laughs> I, still, I still may not put that one up on the website. Uh, you, you don't know, need to. Well, he's, f- he's fully covered. I know that when you uh, saw that one, you were like, ah! And I'm like, really? Well, in that case, mister. <laughs> What's your backup, my friend? Okay, so that was my joke. My backup is on page 15. Page 15. And I showed you this when we first start, uh, when we were setting up. This is a cool one. I gotta yep. say, this is a pretty cool one. Yep, I call this, look, a rainbow. All right, let me explain this one here for the listeners. So what we got here is we've got... The main part of this picture is the aquarium. And you see kind of a pool in the front of the picture. And there's the aquarium building behind. And coming out the side of the aquarium, you see Julie's rainbow. And Julie is carrying Alex and Katie. And there's a couple of people standing next to the pool. And they're pointing up saying, look at that. And what I missed and what Jeff pointed out to me is in the far top left corner, you see snake eyes standing up behind this building covered by this covered by the jack cloud. And there's a bunch of stuff going on. Yeah. It's like I was so focused on... The kids flying and talking, I miss this background thing with this snake causing commotion back there. Yeah, and it's a couple of aquarium workers because they've got like the broom and the kind of, you know, the little collector thing. And they're cleaning up after the people that went to the Shamu exhibit or whatever. And they're not listening to the boulder crusher totally destroying their workplace or seeing a giant cloud battling said giant snake. No, they see a rainbow and they're like, hey, look, a rainbow. (laughs) So it's a great picture. Yeah, I thought I just I really like that, especially there's a bunch of stuff going on. You're like, oh, this is totally, you know, a shot of the aquarium. And oh, there's characters and they're really tiny. You know, all the all the action stuff is going on really small in the background. And it just it just looks really cool. It's great. I love that one. My backup one is back on page two. Mm hmm. And I'm calling this one Snake Eyes. Oh, yeah. This Okay, yeah, this is a good one. This is the one where Snake Eyes has broken through the net and he's looking down at the at the Gordon Fisherman on the boat. And the Gordon Fisherman are just shadows in the foreground. And Snake Eyes, the majority of this panel is Snake Eyes' head filling up with its eyes. And you see the circular hypnotic wave patterns coming out of his eyes and causing these fishermen to go to sleep. It's pretty cool looking. No, it does look neat. That was actually on my short list of picks. 
Yeah. Yeah, because I'm like, that's really cool. It also shows just the scale of Snake Eyes. He's got he's got like a megalodon's head. It's like uh, it looks like it's 12, 12, 14 feet wide. Yeah, it's just awesome. Yeah, and that's just like the you know the maw part of him. So he's a big snake. Big snake. Big snake. Angry what you, snake. What you got for your top, my friend? My first one is on page fourteen, Uh-oh. and I call it cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers <laughs> or for short chud, chud because it's a sound effect that happens when uh jack jackhammers the old snake eyes on his little dome let me just go and read my little note here it says uh my top pick page 14 jackhammer hey! <laughs> hey! cheers top pick buddies top pick buddies yes it's jack slamming down hard on the top of the snake's head snake's Mouth is open, and we hear the chud sound. Unfortunately, Jack failed. Yeah, yeah, it really had no effect. The, it's, yeah, the very next article, uh, not article, the very next uh, panel is uh, Snake Eyes just going about his business, and Jack is grabbing onto some part of his head going, that didn't work. <laughs> I made bad choices. <laughs> yeah, I made him madder. <laughs> this did not work. If I was Conan, I'd blind him, but how? How? Speaking of... Conan and blinding people. Let's talk about rubber and glue moments. Okay. That was a bad transition. Yeah, that was a terrible one. That was like, uh, (laughs) speaking of not segue. Speaking of what's the best or most childish insult, uh, let's talk about uh, what we got here. My backup one is on page three, and it's at the top. And and I'm attributing this to Alex, because uh, Alex has just woke up Jack, and Jack has said, Huh. Oh, it's you, Alex. Okay, I'm ready. Let's go. And Alex responds with, Wait a minute, you dope. We can't leave without the girls. He yep. calls he calls his brother a dope. He does call him a dope. Yeah. That's pretty great. I like it. He calls him a dope. Yeah. So that's my backup one. What do you got? My backup is on page seven. Page seven. And it is a Jack one. Of because, course it's a Jack yeah, one. Yeah, because Jack says everything. <laughs> I think I know which one it is. Yeah, uh, in fact, we already commented on it in the episode. So it is, ha, looks like Gramps finally found a sucker to take up the oboe. <laughs> so yeah, he just thinks it's funny that it's like his grandpa's been trying to get them all to take up the oboe. And each one has kind of said, yeah, yeah, we're not gonna. Yeah. No, no, not me. And then it fell to the youngest power child, who's like, Who yeah. probably would, because she's the sweetest. Yeah, she is super sweet. And speaking of Katie, let's talk about what I've got for my talk pick. And I bet it's the same one you've got for your top pick. Ah, uh, you said Katie, and I I'm going to guess page, page eight. eight. And yep. for the best insult, let's go ahead and uh, we can turn this one over to my daughter. No way, dog breath. Grab said I could carry it, remember? Yeah. Yep, there you go. Yep, dog breath. Dog breath. Dog yep. breath. Okay, same I, I, page. I, we just we just can't argue with that at all. No, I <laughs> like how Katie's really, uh, she's aged a little bit and she's stepping up onto the uh, the childish insults on her yeah. family. But um, my only complaint about this is that, oh, she called it. Of course she disintegrated the oboe. Oh, there was so much foreshadowing in, yes. this, in this issue. It was great. It was just like, a boulder crusher? How could that possibly be? An alien here? Mm, oh, yeah. Foreshadowing. Oh, foreshadowing. it uses a flute-like piping language and can be controlled. Well, here, Katie, play the oboe. <laughs> oh, Katie, don't destroy the oboe. Yeah. Oh, Katie got scared. And, and destroyed the oboe. Yeah, it, there was so much foreshadowing. It was hilarious because you're like, all right, I know what's coming next. <sighs> so it was pretty great. Let's move on to stars and detention. Identify the child who was the best and which child was the worst in this issue. Who's the worst? Uh, I'm going to say Katie. I'm saying Katie, too. Yeah. She 
accidentally starts this. She disintegrates her Gramps oboe mm-hmm. and she gets zapped. Yeah, she she wrecked a bunch of stuff. She uh, yeah, she woke up the snake. She made un, she destroyed the thing that they might have been able to play to stop it. And, and you she, know what else? You know what else I think is a is a strike against her too. Huh? Um, you know her grandpa's kind of complicit in this, but she was playing an oboe on the subway. Okay. I mean, dear God in heaven. I'm going to say that they had the uh, car to themselves. Well, yeah, once she started playing, she had the car to themselves. That's why Grandpa was all like, hey, Katie, play the oboe. I'm and sorry. Then, that, that's and then all just, the kids got the uh, legroom. I'm sorry. That's just rude and annoying. Yeah, I'm putting is. it on Katie, but it's Grandpa's fault, too. Okay. So that's bad. It's, so, it's Katie with a uh, accomplice. Yeah. Uh, yes. Very much so. Um, Who's the best kid? Alex. I agree. Alex. We are on point together. We are definitely this one. on this point. Great, we, yeah. We've got, we've got. To, I think we're dialing it in. A yeah, little bit. we are. So, what's your reasons for Alex? Uh, he came up with plans. He yep. he only said G once. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, he just, he very much kind of took up uh, the leadership mantle role, and he was. Yeah. But, yeah, he also saved Katie after she woke up the the Boulder Crusher. Yeah, I, I think I think that um, he did a lot of good stuff. I mean, he had a couple of things that didn't work. Mm-hmm. But then he's like, okay, well, that didn't work. Let's try something else. Yeah, yeah. It was very much yeah. the, let's do this. Nope. nope. Let's, let's okay, this. yeah. And he wasn't like, well, that's all I have. He's like, no, okay, we can do this now. Yeah. So, yeah, he he just kept on coming. He ke- he came up with like, hey, maybe um, Friday can go sleep in the Hudson because... <laughs> I'm sorry. You're a spaceship. I, you can't say that without me thinking, <laughs> no. hey, Friday, go sleep go with the fishes. Go sleep with the fishes. <laughs> it, no, it's true. It, it really is. It's stuck it, in my head. It's hilarious just to go, hey, you're a spaceship. You want to be in a cruddy river <laughs> you'll be closer but you notice when they called her too it was just like pop she was there yeah but then she's like uh, you want me to live in the water and that lasted what <laughs> half a day <laughs> half a night <laughs> yeah i got bored i like it yeah she's just like they're all what are you doing in the submarine exhibit and she's like beats the river idiots <laughs> my words not hers but yeah it was just it was just so funny because it's like i'm gonna hang out here but also it's like how did she get in there and you're like ah spaceship stuff Actually, that's right. She was only in the river like an hour. Maybe, if that. If that. She probably just sank. She was like, oh, like, time to go I'm to the river. Here. Oh, dear God, the paint's coming off my hole. Yeah. I've survived re-entry into atmospheres. The water in here is so acidic. So there's a sewage dump pipe right next to my head. head time with this. to leave. Audi. Yeah. Yeah. She, Friday was not there very long at all. Right, he's like, I got a better idea. It's anywhere not your your decision. Let's talk some G force. Okay. We, I think I, I think I know the answer because you yep. just said it. Yep. One. Yep. I gave a spoiler. It is one G, and you can experience. Hey, I don't want to startle you, but you're experiencing one G right now. Oh my god. So oh my god. Oh so my are god. you listeners, oh people in UK and Canada and the US and Australia and that uh, one guy in Brazil. Yep. Thanks, Brazil. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Actually, here. Everybody, experience your 1G in peace. We appreciate you, and uh, you're sticking with us. So, <laughs> cheers to you. Anything else you want to say on the G report? G report? Uh, yeah. The uh, G average is uh, 2.55. Yep. So, we are still in the amusement park. We're still on the Graviton ride. You know, the old spinning spinning wall hugger. Horrible. Same. Yeah, the yeah the, the horrible amusement park ride where if you're like it, down in California at one of the parks and you're all, huh, waits are two hours, but it's only 45 minutes for, <laughs> for the Graviton. I guess I'll go ride that. And then you go in and it's just this uh, place of sadness and despair as everybody's on the wall looking at each other like going, I guess we decided to go on this ride. <laughs> 
Yay us! Yay us! Okay, and so uh, our grand total of G four Gs that we've experienced so far is uh, we're up to twenty three, which is again over double airplane turns. Nine G-force. issues, twenty three Gs. Yep. Let's talk top grades. Mm-hmm. We want to evaluate each issue against the rest of the series. So. How do you feel about this issue? It's kind of neat. Like you were saying, it's slice of life. It's got a lot of New York in it. It's very, yeah, it's kind of, it's it's neat. It's definitely better than the Dragon Man saga stuff, which I still enjoyed. Oh, I liked it too, but I I definitely think this is better. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, it's the slice of life living. I've also got, uh, it's a great mix of daily life and adventure. It's start of a cool little adventure. I think it feels kind of real life. I mean, where the kids are going to the park with their grandpa. Yeah. I love June Brigman's style, but Brent Anderson has done some amazing backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I actually wanted to say that page seven is a really good example of this. And yeah, this is the page seven is the Carnegie Hall meeting grandpa, them on the subway. I just love that entire page. Yeah, he does a lot of architecture. Yeah. This is a weird comment I got here, but all the characters' hair seems fuller. Mm. Uh, okay. It just, it, it, it's like all the kids all of a sudden have conditioner in their hair. Okay. I, well, I, yeah. It's a weird thing. I don't they're in New York. They're, yeah, they're in styles. So, um, definitely it's going to be above the Dragon Man saga. Uh, what do you think about it being above, um... Above, hmm. uh... I'm actually thinking it, it, it's, it's kind of, I'm getting the same feeling like I got with Homecoming. Okay. I would say it would yeah. be either above or below Homecoming. Uh, yeah, it, it, I was thinking the same thing. Um, and Homecoming was issue number five. Okay, yeah, and that is... Uh, oh, that's when, with Carmody? Yes, yeah. That, that's where it's, <laughs> all of our Link jokes? It's all of our... <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, it's issue five, The Legend of Carmody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's... You know, just because of all the Link stuff that we were able to throw in that one, I'm going to put it just below uh, Homecoming. That's what we did. Let's look at the issue itself, though. Um, I liked Homecoming, but yeah. I'm kind of liking this a little bit, too, because it's... Well, again, both both were great. All, all of the Power Pack stuff yeah. was great. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, either blo- uh, above or below Homecoming, what do you feel? Uh, I kind of want to put it below, but I might be just because of all the uh, Link jokes that we put in. Do you want if, if that's the case, let's yeah, put so it above. Yeah, so you want to put it above? Okay, we'll put yeah. it above. Right. Okay, so it is in new fourth place. New fourth place, all right. I mm-hmm. will update that on our website. Issue nine is in fourth place. Upsurfing issue number five, which was Homecoming. Yay! Yay! Um, so let's do our final thoughts on the beer. What do we think about this beer that we have been sipping this entire episode? Uh, I haven't had a chance to really drink it much with the lack of G's, but uh, I don't know. Uh, it's pleasant. For an IPA... Uh, I'm liking yeah, this Yeah, I'm IPA. liking this for a special IPA. Uh, here's the problem. I want to give it a four as a, because because it's an IPA that I'm like, wow, I'm really liking this, but I'm not sure if it's actually a four. I <clears throat> My indecision wavers into the air again. I'd give this one a three and a half. I'd give this yeah. a three and a half. Yeah. I, I do like it. I enjoy it. And it's a really good, I, I mean, listener, please, you know, grain of salt. If you like IPAs, this may be actually more of a four or four and a half for you. Yeah. You know what? I, I'll go three and a half with you as well. I was thinking about that and then uh, four got stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I'll three and a half. Is, this, is, this is good. I, I, I do enjoy it. It's it is nice. tasty. Yeah. And what's really neat about it is it's, wow, that's a lot of sediment in there. Too. Yeah. There's a lot. I was noticing it too. It does have a lot huh. of sediment at the bottom, but wow. okay. But it's good though. I like yeah, it. Yeah. It's tasty. And that first little tiny taste that I took, it very much had the passion fruit and all that. Yeah. It, it very, very much had all the fruit in it. I was like, oh, all I'm tasting is fruit. That's cool. That's good and now it's time for the kids perspective and that's where we ask rick's daughter to tell us her thoughts and opinion on the book so what we have here is rick talking to carrie so if you could take it away that'd be great hi carrie hi daddy how are you doing good 
What's new with you? What's new with me? Yeah. About this podcast, remember? <laughs> so you just want to talk about the podcast, nothing else? Okay, can we get started? <laughs> we can get started if you want to. All right. What do you think of this new issue? It was nice. A lot of sleeping in it. A lot of sleeping? Yeah. What caused the sleeping? Snake eyes. And how did he do that? His eyes make people sleep. Hmm, that sounds familiar. Does somebody else make people sleep when they look at them? The girl with snakes in her hair? That's right, Medusa, right? She actually seems kind of cool. I have to say that. Why does Medusa seem cool? She has snakes in her hair! Okay, fair enough, fair enough. What else did you like or what else did you think was different about this episode? They had their grandpa in it. That's right. We met their grandpa. And what does their grandpa do? He has an oboe. Right? And so he plays an oboe, right? Yeah. Grandpa takes them where? To the aquarium. Do you notice that the artwork's a little bit different? Yeah. It's a little. This one's a little darker. What else do you notice about the difference between the artwork? Well, Julia's hair is swinged back. What was your favorite part about this issue? When Katie stood up for her brother. When Katie stood up for her brother? Mm-hmm. Why did you like that part? Obviously, if you stand up for your brother, you would pretty much would be really nice and thoughtful. And I'm trying to, and I'm trying to be very helpful. So you would stand up for people? Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? No. Thank you very much, Carrie. You're welcome. I love you very much and thank you for your time. You're welcome. And now it's time for shout outs. We like to recognize those listeners that take time to write to us or leave us a review. On our website, Icon UK started listening thanks to Jay and Miles, and he had a couple of questions. One, if it's not an overly personal question, where do the two of you fit into your own sibling hierarchy? Well, uh, for myself, I have a sister who is uh, nine years, nine or ten years older than me, depending upon what time of year it is. Her and I have nothing in common. She's perfect, and I'm not. It's kind of annoying. <laughs> now, she's, she's wonderful. She's great. The joke was that my parents didn't really have a kid until they had me. <laughs> so by the time I was old enough to really comprehend having a sibling, my sister was on her way out the door to college. So I didn't really... I mean, I have a sibling, but it, for all intents and purposes, I was kind of an only child. Yeah, so you're both kind of raised, yeah, yeah. separately. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, she never had any interest in comics or anything like that. I was I was the comic book person when mm-hmm. growing up, so. Okay, so older sister. Older sister. You're the younger brother. Only, more or less an only child. Okay. Uh, I'm the older brother. Uh, I have a younger brother named Steve, who's, again, that two and a half, three years younger thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, except that, well, <clears throat> okay, it's uh, story time. So, in 2010... Uh, Steve and his longtime girlfriend, basically common-law wife, were coming home from a ultimate fight party. So they were out at a friend's place watching watching the fights, and this was on a July 3rd, and they were coming home. So they were driving their motorcycles and got about an eighth of a mile from home and were on the main street signaling in the turn lane to go basically down their street into their neighborhood to get home. So uh, at the same time, uh, we'll just say Drunk Idiot was... Uh, with a friend of his and took his girlfriend's car without asking. And then we're driving around uh, fast up road, uh, crested a hill, and then drifted over into my brother's uh, turn lane and hit and killed him and his longtime girlfriend uh, immediately. So I am 
the oldest brother, and I'm also a only child now. So growing up, how close were you and your brother? We weren't overly close. I mean, you know, we spent a lot of time together. We did a lot of stuff, but we, like your sister, we were we we weren't really close. We had different interests. So, but still, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, I may not have felt like I was really close to him, but I do pretty much think about him every day. So they might say something for us growing up where we kind of were only children yeah. in some ways we yeah, did our sorry. own thing you know we, we didn't weren't entirely close with our siblings i mean looking at the power pack kids they're really it's, close to yeah, each other it would have been I've, I've always kind of been jealous of people that have had that very yeah. close uh family type yeah. kind of thing with the very you know especially i have a very small family and everybody that's in it kind of went to the four corners of the world and most of them like didn't have kids. So it's very, it's, it's a very small family and it's just getting smaller. <laughs> so, yeah, but, uh, yeah. So there you go. Uh, Hey, if you have any more questions <laughs> to innocent questions to send this comedy podcast that we can totally twist around and make dark, please feel free to send them in. So well, I, I want to say thank you for telling the story. I mean, I, I remember when it happened, Yeah, but I don't know if I, I think I asked you a couple of these questions at the time. I didn't know you had a brother at that time. Yeah. And well, again, we weren't really close, so right. it's not like I was bringing him up all the time. So, so I, I you, you were the one who offered to answer this question like this, and yeah. and, and thank you for doing it. And well, I hope you're okay. Yeah, it's all right. Like I said, I think about him all the time. Uh, what's kind of funny is that. Uh, like two days before this question came up, I was thinking, I'm like, oh, I wonder if anybody's going to ask us what our, uh, you know, what our family <laughs> structure is, and if we have, you know, what kind of, what kind of siblings we have, and then Rick sends over a thing and going, hey, uh, you, Icon UK sent this thing, wondering uh, what our, fam- you know, what our family structure is, so we could get, he could get a feel if, uh, you know, in fact, I'll kind of read part of what he says. Uh, I think it might add a little context to your to your feelings about some of the sibling roles to know if you are an Alex, uh, Julia, Jack, or a Katie. So, um, I, I, here, we'll answer that part of the question yeah. <laughs> instead of just being depressing. Uh, yeah, I actually kind of think I'm more of a Julie cause I love reading. Yeah. I, I think I'd probably be a weird mix between, um, I would say probably a mix between the youngest three from myself. Yeah. I liked reading like Julie. I was a little bit of an obnoxious and annoying kid like uh, Jack. And I was kind of seen as the baby of the family like Katie. So Okay. Like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm quasi-sciencey like Alex. I read like Julie. Uh, I'm insulting like Jack. And I break stuff like... I'm klutzy <laughs> and break stuff like Katie. So I'm a nice blend of all four. <laughs> The, the other question that uh, Icon UK asked was if we'd read the excellent, lengthy, am- amazing heroes that came out around the same time. He pointed out where there's a, some great interviews from Louise and June about the original origins of the team. And he sent me a link for it, and it's awesome. I haven't had time to sit down and really read it yet because it's pretty lengthy. And I need to sit down and read it. That's kind of my next thing to do now that I'm finally getting caught up with this a little bit. So thank you very much, Icon UK. Yeah, that was very cool of you to send that to us. And also, yeah, I'd never heard of Amazing Heroes. Bradley Austin Knoll let us know that Episode 5 made waiting in the DMV a second time amusing and more bearable. That's what we strive for. Amusing and bearable. And also, I've been there at the uh, multiple trips to the DMV and... One time is too many, so man, twice, uh, that sucks. I kind of want to know your backstory about why you had to go there two times, though. Next, we have Justin Hamrick on Twitter. He let us know that we have a great podcast. Thank you very much, Justin. Thanks to Alphabet Flight and Jesse for the very nice shout-out on his show. Jesse is walking through the entire catalog of the official handbook to the Marvel Universe. 
I may disagree with your characterization of Mass Master, but I appreciate your dedication to the theme. Thanks to Keith Baker for the great words on our Facebook page. We promise, we have not stolen your diary, but we are going to have to have a talk about April 19th. You know. You know. Thank you to Zane Kipmiller and Michael Wynn for their Facebook messages. We always like to hear constructive criticism. We try our best, but we may make mistakes from time to time, and we are still perfecting our format. We may not always alter what we're doing or what we've done or how we're doing it, but we do listen to what our fans say. Please, keep it coming. And a recommendation. If you're not listening to Marvel's Secret Wars and Beyond podcast, you should be. First, because they are doing an exhaustive deep dive into Secret Wars 2, detailing the behind the scenes and the crossovers, but also because they are crossing over with Power Pack very soon. We still have about eight issues to go before we hit the same point, but it sounds like we may have some content sharing in the near future. Which is awesome! Jeff and Rick Present is a bi-weekly, self-produced podcast recorded in front of a live studio audience in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, please do so at Twitter, at Jeff and Rick Present. Our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present. Our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word, at gmail.com. Or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. Please rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher, tell your friends about us, or share your love for us on social media. And as always, we want to thank the wonderful women in our life. My wife Cindy and our daughter Carrie. My fiance Hillary and our daughter Aurora. We, we love, love you. you. Until next week. Costumes off! Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is The Complex and Future Gladiator. All music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Cloak and Dagger. Cloak and Dagger. Cloak and Dagger. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) i don't know if anybody really ever does i mean it happens but i don't know if anybody has ever like you know what's good for a kid dropping them i'm just gonna go ahead and say this right now (laughs) the current gop Oh! oh too soon nope Yeah, apparently Friday got bored of the Hudson and decided that no one would notice if she sat down in the middle of New York. I'm going to start all over. Yeah, apparently Friday got bored. Just say every word like it's its own sentence. Yeah, apparently Friday got bored of the Hudson and decided that no one would notice if she's down in the middle of the New York aquariums. Submariner. (laughs) Yeah, Friday's there. Done. Down in the middle of... In the... (laughs) <laughs> There's words. Breathe. Breathe. <sighs> okay, here we go. Yeah, apparently Friday got bored of the Hudson and decided that no one would notice if she sat down in the middle of the New York... Aqu- oh, even there. And decided that no one would notice if she sat down in the middle of the New York... Damn it, okay. And decided that no one would notice if she sat down in the middle of the New York Aquarium submarine exhibit because I was... But I got faster. I got to the next part that I can't talk. Okay. All right. Because as of last night, she was a submarine. I'm going to get it. This I, 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 A couple of words each time. Take 
20. 20. Here we go. Lucky number 20 is what they always called me. Like Jed. Like Jed Bar. I was thinking the same thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah, apparently Friday got bored of the Hudson and decided that no one would notice if she sat down in the middle of the New York... 21. You got this. Yeah, apparently Friday got bored of the Hudson and decided that no one would notice if she sat down in the middle of the New York Aquarium submarine exhibit because as of last night, she was a submarine as well and would fit right in. I did it, it only took all night, and I did it fast, right? Yes, I did my line, finally, and I'll never go back and do it again. Ha ha! The wiggly, the wriggly wep, weptile, wow, the yeah, wiggly wiggle, wiggle 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 wants to wind his wed towards a young woman, mm-hmm. and right before he can strike, Alex yells to let go. That wascally snake.